Welcome to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The Islamic State group posted a video calling on Palestinians to attack Israeli soldiers and civilians. At least five killed in B'nai Brak after the assailant went on a shooting spree firing from a motorcycle. Here's your host, Rob Walker. On Tuesday, November 1st, Israelis will be heading to the polls again. In fact, it will be the fifth election in only three years for Israel. So how did Israeli politics get to be this state? What does the future hold for Benjamin Netanyahu, called King Bibi, for his longevity in Israeli politics? And what are the major issues of concern for Israeli voters now? In this week's episode of the Honest Report podcast, we sit down with Ruthie Bloom. Ruthie is a Jerusalem-based columnist for the Jerusalem Post, among other publications. And she sits down with us and shares her perspectives on what this Israeli election is all about, what Israelis are concerned about, what the future holds for Benjamin Netanyahu, and what she sees as being the likeliest outcome of the vote next week. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Ruthie, welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Happy to be here. So Israel is, of course, gearing up for yet another election uh, on Tuesday, November 1st. What, um, what is this election about? Oh, well, that depends on whom you ask. Okay, uh, there many people will tell you that it is about, as were the other four rounds of Knesset elections, about uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, okay, otherwise known as Bibi. Um, there are two camps, the uh, camp led by Netanyahu and the anybody but Bibi camp. So some people will tell you that it's only about him, it's a referendum on him and that if he were only to step down as head of Likud, Israel would immediately be able to form a stable government and all would be well. Um, but I uh, don't believe that for a second. The, it is true that the anti-Netanyahu camp hates him and wants to prevent him from returning as prime minister. That's true. Um, but there are several issues that are uh, serious issues at stake. Um, the uh, Israel's response to Iran, Israel's response to terrorism, both, uh, for example, from Syria, the Lebanon maritime deal, the uh, fighting terrorism in Judea and Samaria and Gaza, um, combating crime in the Arab sector, the economy, it just goes on and on. So there are serious issues and actual ideological differences between the camps. So beyond this sort of the towering personality of, uh, of Bibi, what would you say really are the driving issues that uh, most voters uh, have top of mind? I think that depends on, on the socioeconomic level of the voters. I would say one common thread that has nothing to do with security and the usual Israeli problems is the economy. Um, now, aside from the fact that there's the usual supply chain problems that the rest of the world uh, is having due to the war in Ukraine, um, the prices are out of control here. And that includes rentals, supermarket prices, they're out of control. So I think that 
as a sort of common thread to all voters, that's a big one because we all have to buy groceries. <laughs> Whatever else happens in Iran, we have to buy groceries and pay rent or mortgages, etc. But a, I would say uh, an overriding ideological difference is that the Netanyahu camp does not believe based on uh, decades of evidence that the way to uh, make peace with your enemies is to appease them or make sure that they don't suffer economically and therefore you need to keep them propped up financially um, and that way they won't want to kill you. That is, um, that is more of a view of the current, the sitting prime minister, Yair Lapid. The belief somehow that you just, you know, that is responsible, by the way, for this terrible maritime deal that's being signed supposedly on Thursday um, with Lebanon. And basically it's being signed with the terrorist organization Hezbollah, which is a proxy of Iran. The idea being that, the, you know, it's an old idea that's been proven false again and again, that terrorism is born of poverty and desperation. In fact, terrorism, it's been proven to be false. Actually, most terrorists have plenty of money or, you know, come from good families. They're educated. It is just not true that poverty, in fact, desperation and poverty um, don't cause energy, the kind of energy that it requires to go out and kill people. So, well, I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, you touched on the maritime deal with Lebanon. Tell us a little bit about uh, that and how it's being perceived in Israel. Okay, well, for the past 10 years, the Israeli government, and that was during Netanyahu's tenure, Netanyahu was prime minister for 12 years until these, these last rounds of elections. Um, for 10 years, the United States and Israel and Lebanon were negotiating this deal that, you know, I, we don't have a map sitting in front of us. But Lebanon and Israel share a border and they also share a certain, they have territorial waters that touch on one another. And there are two main gas rigs near the coast, the coast of Israel and Lebanon. And in between them is a, uh, some kind of um, border that is, has been drawn by, um, by markers, boys. Um, and there is a dispute about uh, which country has, uh, uh, has ownership over those waters. Now, Israel has a gas rig that is completely belongs to Israel that um, there, it, it can, you know, gain Israel billions and billions of dollars. And on the other side, there's another gas rig that Lebanon claims to, uh, to have dibs on or at least half of it. Anyway, there's negotiations that have been going on for 10 years because the Lebanese who are ru ruled mainly by Hezbollah have, and, and Lebanon is an enemy that does not recognize Israel, by the way. Um, and suddenly uh, about a month ago, the Lapid government announced that it had finally solved the whole problem and a deal was being, the deal was drawn up and it was about to be signed. And isn't this wonderful? Well, it turns out that the deal basically caves to all of Lebanon's demands um, in spite of Lapid's denial. 
And by the way, in spite of the Biden administration's denial about this. Um, so caved, why would Israel, yes. why, why would, did Israel, why did Lapid agree to, uh, agree to such a deal? Okay, so first of all, you have to understand that Lapid is, now you're Canadian, so maybe what I could do is to say Lapid is Trudeau, okay? So that's one thing. The other is that Lapid is sort of hoping that there'll be a deadlocked election and then he can remain interim prime minister uh, because at the moment he, do, he, he doesn't have a majority to form a coalition. So his best hope really is staying prime minister by having a deadlocked election and having to wait for yet another round. In the meantime, what he claimed is that we have to do the reason the deal had to be signed really quickly and without even approval of the Knesset, which is the legislature here, is that on the 30th of October, the president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, is finishing his term and there is no replacement for him. And Lebanon anyway is a failed state with, you know, is basically in dire straits, okay, and is basically run by Hezbollah anyway. And, he's, and also because the Israeli election is the day afterwards, it's November 1st, two days after is the Israeli election. So his logic was that because Lebanon is going to have no president and, and Hezbollah will be ruling, and because the election is on November 1st, we have to hurry the deal through. Now imagine that kind of logic. It's the opposite is the case. The opposite is the case. It shouldn't be hurried through. It should, it, you know, so, the, so, so when you ask me why, okay, he is somebody who is aligned with the American Democrats and the liberals in Canada. That's the kind of, that's who he is. And Macron, he's also a big buddy of uh, French, the French presidents. So what is, uh, what's Netanyahu's uh, position on this maritime deal? Uh, Netanyahu's position on the deal is that it's a terrible deal. And Netanyahu's supporters agree with that, that it's a terrible, terrible deal. And he even said, he, he had hinted that if he does manage to become prime minister again, that he might cancel it. The trouble is that he doesn't want to uh, behave, let's say like our enemies behave, which is to say that, you know, a country signs a deal and then doesn't just renege on it because a new, uh, a new sheriff is in town, okay? Uh, even though you could say that uh, former President Donald Trump in the United States, he ripped up the Iran deal. Um, and that was based on the fact that Iran wasn't living up to its side of a terrible bargain anyway. So, but a critic might say, I wonder, Ruthie, if they would say exactly as you said, that, well, you know, how can we sign agreements with Israel if it's just going to be dependent on who wins? And because Israel has elections all the time, it could cause uh, a lot right, of which is why, of which is why it's not likely that Netanyahu will cancel it. But mm -hmm. it, you know, it's not likely. What do I know? I can't say what he's going to do. It isn't likely. Listen, he didn't even cancel the Oslo Accords, so it's not likely that he will do that. It is more likely that he will be keeping a close watch on the border, on the on the gas rigs. By the way, Lapid's real, another thing I forgot to mention, which is also very, very important here, is that the reason it's bad also is that, is that Hezbollah said, if you don't sign this deal, I am going to blow up your rig. 
and I have missiles pointing at it. And uh, he also sent drones hovering around it and, you know, attacking. It didn't hit the rig, but um, it was a threat, a serious terrorist threat. And Lapid caved to it. He said, we don't need war with Hezbollah, so better to better to quickly sign this deal. So pivoting a little bit, we uh, there is a, um, a member of Knesset, uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, who's uh, getting a lot of uh, attention. Uh, tell us about him and, and why he has been getting so much uh, attention with respect to uh, Bibi. Um, well, Itamar Ben-Gavir, just, uh, it's interesting, he's gotten so much attention because he is um, a firebrand right-winger. Um, he has a party. Uh, he and uh, Betzalel Smotrich joined forces um, to run in this election together because they have similar, they're on the similar on a similar wavelength, I could say. Um, and so they are making up the religious Zionist party. Ben Gvir is not number one. He's not the leader of that party. Actually, it's Smotrich. But Ben Gvir is getting all the attention. Why? Because he is the guy everyone loves to hate. And why do they love to hate him? In his past, he was a member, a follower of Rabbi Meir Kahana, the late Meir Kahana, um, whose party Kach was banned from the Knesset. And uh, in the 90s, when this uh, American-Israeli rabbi Baruch Goldstein killed uh, 29 Palestinians at the Cave of the Patriarchs, and then uh, himself, he, he himself, he shot himself or was shot at the time, uh, ben Gvir ex- said he, he called him my hero, his hero. Okay, but Ben Gvir has grown up since then and has renounced his previous views. He says, "I no longer. I was a young guy then. I have since gone to law school. I have since I've grown up. I don't think those things anymore. I don't think Goldstein is a hero, and I don't think you have to uh, get rid of all the Arabs and from you know kick out the Arabs." from Israel. All I want to do is fight terrorism. And by the way, another thing he wants to do, he and Smotrich, is to um, reform the legal system, which is really terrible here, wants to reform it. So he has become the the bad guy that everyone likes to say, because he's definitely joining a coalition with uh, Netanyahu. And if Netanyahu is able to form a coalition with him, he also is gaining lots of seats, according to the polls anyway. Netanyahu said, yes, he definitely will become a minister in the next government. No, part of the reason uh, Ben Gavir is in the news also, um, my understanding is that there's been a not insignificant amount of pressure from the United States to pressure Israel not to to disqualify him from running or to not give him a, a seat in cabinet. Is that correct? That's correct. So first of all, let me say that the, you know, they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't hear from the left in Israel what a danger this guy is. Trust me on that one, okay? But it, because the Democratic Party, in any case, is really against Netanyahu altogether, against the right wing altogether. They consider him like Trump, okay? So they're against him. But actually, even, you know, a, a couple of uh, pro Israel Republicans said that. Um, the point is, or the only, excuse me, the only Democrats in uh, Congress who are not, you know, totally anti-Israel or totally pro-Israel actually said the same thing. Um, 
And that's because they are on the side, as I said, Lapid, you have to just translate this into North American politics and, and Netanyahu and Ben Gvir represent to that side of the spectrum, they represent Trumpism. Okay, and that's why, but they are wrong. Uh, they're wrong about Trump too, but, they, but they're wrong about Ben Gvir. Now many Israelis, what Israelis like to say that Ben Gvir is a fascist, although maybe they should look up the word in the dictionary because there's no, there's no way you could describe him. There's not, he's not a fascist. I mean, so, you know, he is on the right. He's a proud right wing, winger and he's a religious Zionist. He's Orthodox and he does have views. He does believe that, for example, Israel should honor uh, Judaism in the public sphere. You know, that there shouldn't be public transportation on Shabbat, that um, there shouldn't be, let's say, non-kosher food in hospitals, you know, things like that in the public sphere. He doesn't care what people do in the privacy of their homes and all that. But he says that you need to keep the Jewish nature of the state in, uh, you know, sort of in official, in officialdom. So here's the uh, the obvious uh, you know question, which is what do you what do you see happening? You know, I'd love to tell you, but I have to say something. Every prediction I have ever made about politics has been wrong. So I thought Obama wouldn't win a second term because, and I thought that Trump would win a second term. I you know I am so wrong all the time that whatever I say is going to be, you should take with a huge grain of salt. So tell us what you think is going to happen and then maybe we'll assume the opposite. Okay. <laughs> um, no, that's not good because what I think is going to happen is something I want to happen. So maybe that's not a good idea. Well, the real question, <laughs> I suppose, taking a step back, Ruthie, is, I mean, you know, is Israel going to get out of this perpetual deadlock anytime soon? It will. I'll tell you something. At the moment, it depends on which uh, polls you read. But there are some polls giving Netanyahu's block a 62 seat majority, and he only needs 61. And if it's true that he has a 62 seat majority, then that's it. He's in. Or, by the way, another thing is that the left is totally disorganized this cycle. Several left wing and Arab parties are hovering at the electoral threshold or going below it. So, if any of those parties doesn't make it because of the way the system works, uh, the it's, it's percentage wise. Um, so if any of those don't make it, uh, again, Bibi has a coalition in a second. All right. So um, it all depends. The truth is, it depends on voter turnout. If the Arab uh, sector has uh, gets its act together. It, it, it has traditionally low voter turnout, but also at the moment is particularly angry at its uh, politicians. If it changes that pattern and has a high voter turnout, that can have an effect because then the Arab parties won't fall below the threshold. If Likud voters who are traditionally um, I don't want to use the word lazy because uh, because that's a word that a broadcaster used to describe Likud voters and they got very offended. They are notorious for not showing up on election day. Okay, so 
given the fact that Likud is the largest party, it's even more, it's even, uh, it would be even a larger if Likud voters actually showed up on election day. It would be, it would have more seats than it already does. So Netanyahu uh, is trying very hard right now. That's a main focus of his campaign is to get people out to vote. All right, wonderful. Well, I guess we will see what uh, what ends up happening. Ruthie, thank you so much for your time and your insight on the ground. Much appreciated. Okay, thank you. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.